You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hello, welcome to Catholic Saints. My name is Mary McGeehan. I work here at the Augustan Institute, and I am joined by Dr. John Seahorn, the academic dean and professor of theology here at the Augustan Institute. Thank you for joining. Happy to be here. Can you let us know what your specialty is in theology that you teach? I don't know. I wish someone would tell me. <laughs> um, Everything. No, I mean, most of my training is in patristics, so I'm really happy to be here to talk about a church father. Wonderful. This episode, we're going to talk about St. Proclus of Constantinople. Let's just dive right in. Uh, what are? When did he live? Where did he come from? Yeah, well... Constantinople. Okay. Um, and no, so usually when we when we say you know Saint so and so of wherever, yeah. uh, it's it's where they were bishop. And Proclus was eventually bishop of Constantinople. We can get into that a little bit, but he actually really was of Constantinople. Um, in mm -hmm. fact, he was the first bishop of Constantinople who who was a native of Constantinople. He was born okay. in Constantinople. We don't exactly know when. Um, at the latest, probably around the year three ninety. Uh, but maybe maybe significantly earlier. It's difficult to say. Okay. Yeah. Born and raised in this area, and that's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, anything noteworthy that we we know about from his childhood, um, his no. family life, or people who he learned from? Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that um, he sort of rose to prominence at a fairly young age suggests that his family was was you know fairly well to do. They're in Constantinople, which of course means Constantine City. It had been mm. it had been refounded as Constantinople less than a century earlier by uh, the Emperor Constantine. Mm -hmm. uh, it was now um, the the, um, the the real kind of power center of the eastern half of the empire, right? So it's an important city to be in. The role of the bishops of Constantinople is getting greater and greater. Um, it seems also to be the case that from a fairly young age, Proclus was kind of identified as a rising star. So he was um, instituted as a lector hmm. uh, in the church at an early age um, and um, and was a student of rhetoric, right? Um, and by all accounts, he was an excellent preacher and the the sermons that, that have survived uh, from him bear this out, right? Um, hmm. So he seems to have sort of become... I, I want to say protege, but really more than that, fairly quickly, he was kind of um, like a secretary and um, and assistant to um, Atticus, who was uh, the bishop of Constantinople uh, from, I think, 406 or four or so until um, until about 425. So okay. for quite a while. And under Atticus, Proclus was first ordained a deacon and then uh, and then to the priesthood. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I do know he's a popular saint of both the East and the West. So as you're saying, it makes sense that he still has a strong. I wish um, he was more popular in the West. I don't know. I, I don't know how many people <laughs> like, true. oh yeah, Proclus. I know all about him. That is true. It was yeah. just because this episode I was refreshed about We're going to make St. Proclus <laughs> famous again. Yeah. Uh, let's let's, yeah, let's, let's go. So he was a secretary. He was a lector. Uh, he was working oh. underneath the bishop of Constantinople Atticus at that That's time right. period. That's right. Yeah. Um, and we have some of his homilies from his own priesthood and life that we can still access today. Where yeah, we learn from, a little yeah, bit about from when his he's life. a from when he's a bishop. Yeah. So, okay. um, well, you know, so okay, I, I said that Atticus was bishop till four twenty five. You might think, well, what happened then? 
It seems to be the case that Proclus had every reasonable expectation uh, to succeed Atticus as the bishop of Constantinople. But mm. um, there was another kind of popular presbyter priest uh, named Philip. Um, and um, uh, and so there, there was some kind of like competition between them. And there was even a third party who mm. was popular with the people. And so he was made bishop in 425, actually beginning of 426. So like um, Atticus dies end of 425. This new bishop uh, 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 is, um, is consecrated in 426. Hmm. And Proclus, but Proclus seems to have taken it really well and been sort of reconciled with him. And so he actually um, says, okay, well, I want to make this guy bishop. Proclus is really great. Mm -hmm. So there's another important city that's kind of across the Sea of Marmara from, um, from Constantinople, so modern-day Turkey, mm -hmm. called Sizicus. Okay. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's easier to say, actually, than to spell. It's C-Y-Z-I-C-U-S, Sizicus. Okay. Never heard of it. So there was a, there was a, um, uh, a vacancy there. And uh, so the, the bishop of Constantinople says, okay, we'll make Proclus bishop there. So he consecrates him. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he's about to, to uh, set sail there. And he finds out that they've said, no, we picked our own bishop. And Proclus just kind of takes it. So he's titular mm -hmm. bishop of Sizicus, but they won't accept him there. Mm -hmm. And he, he just decides to stay in Constantinople and sort of becomes popular uh, as a preacher and as a kind of, you know, bishop without... Without a church, so um, this bishop Sicinius only lives for a couple of years. Is this the bishop of Sicilia? The, the one, no, the one who made Proc the, the one who is uh, Constantinople. Okay, thank you. So he dies, uh, and um, just in, uh, yeah, end of four twenty seven, beginning of four twenty eight, somewhere in there. Um, and and now once again, it looks like it's going to be Proclus or that guy Philip, right? And like, there's both sides have have they've got supporters. And they kind of cancel each other out. And so the emperor decides to send for an outsider. <laughs> so he brings in this unknown monk from uh, Antioch, from Syria, named Nestorius. Mm. And, uh, a and if, party. you may have heard of Nestorius, right? <laughs> Nestorius, uh, just, you know, uh, spoiler alert, um, is one of the most famous heretics in the church's history. So Nestorius comes in and he's a pretty... Um, He's known for being very ascetical. He's very serious. He, uh, I think, drastically overestimates his own intelligence. Okay. And he sort of comes in and just thinks he knows what he's doing right away. And he's shaking things up and hmm. making people upset. Well, he had brought with him uh, a priest named Anastasius. There will be a test on all these names after the episode. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe not. So um, Anastasius preaches this homily in which he says, you shouldn't call Mary mother of God because Mary's just a woman mm -hmm. and God can't have a human mother. That doesn't make any sense. Now, um, this might sound like he's denying the divinity of Christ. It's not so much that. He really does believe that Christ is God and he believes that Christ is man, but he thinks that we can sort of separate out uh, the divinity and the humanity of Christ um, really effectively into two different persons, right? Into two different subjects, okay. right? And that you shouldn't sort of confuse them. Yes. Okay. So you shouldn't say that like the man Christ raised Lazarus from the dead because that's really something only God can do. That was really mm -hmm. God in Christ doing it. And you also, also shouldn't say things like God died on the cross for us, right? Because God as God can't die. 
right? So mm. he thinks, well, I'm just trying to make these these sort of distinctions. Well, mm -hmm. Christians have been calling Mary Mother of God and and honoring her and praying to her as Theotokos, Mother of God, uh, for a long, long time. People are like, what is wrong with this guy? Well, instead of trying to smooth things over, Nestorius uh, sort of doubled down and gave a series of homilies. A uh, series of sermons defending Anastasius's view hmm. and arguing that we should not call Mary uh, Theotokos. Okay, and so um, this got Proclus. It's got a lot of people's attention. It's right? an important topic. It is an important it topic, and it, it sort of sets off what's known as the Nestorian controversy. And the most famous proponent of orthodoxy in this controversy is. Do you remember Mary? Keep going. You're on a roll. Saint Cyril of <laughs> Alexandria. Okay. Um, but Proclus was also a very important player in this mm. because Nestorius had been giving these sermons uh, in sort of like the fall of 428. Mm -hmm. Well, um, recently the, um, the church in Constantinople had instituted a new feast in honor of Mary on mm -hmm. the 26th of December, what's, what's now the Feast of St. Stephen for us. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, and on the 26th of December, Proclus got up and in the presence of Nestorius, he gave this absolute firestorm of a sermon in honor of Mary's divine motherhood and defending the use of the title Theotokos, mother of God, to talk about Mary. And this, this drew wild applause. People loved it. Nestorius immediately got up and tried to start criticizing it. And it looks like they uh, shouted him down, actually. Is there by chance access to his criticism? from that moment of preaching? That would um, be pretty hard to find. For Nestorius? Yes. Yes, there there there, there is a source. I don't that. have it. I don't have it to hand, so but I can't no. I can't quote from it uh right off the bat. But um but yes, there uh, we do have some some indication okay. of what Nestorius tried to say. It's it's hard to know what heretic's motives were, but from what I'm hearing, it seems as if he was adamant of trying to honor the divinity of God for the sake and for the sake of the people not worshiping false gods. So yeah, that's right. the yeah. way we honor, you know, Mary, um, or the way we honor Jesus, if we are honoring the human person, could that then fall lead believers into idolatry because it is worshiping the human, not the God, et cetera. I, I guess I'm wondering. Um, well, Nestorius we was a little bit wishy-washy about that. Okay. So okay. he would say that he distinguished the divinity of humanity, but that he united the worship mm. that he did actually treat them effectively as one person, as one Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but if if you but he, he wouldn't allow you to sort of say things like God suffered, God has a mother, things okay. like that. Okay. And from the point of view of Proclus and then of Cyril of Alexandria and others in this controversy, that's actually to overturn hmm. the mystery of our salvation. It's mm -hmm. to overturn the incarnation hmm. that um that the word really was made flesh. That Jesus really is God with us. He really is Emmanuel. Yes. Right. And they felt that I think rightly that Nestorius was was sort of shying away from that mystery. Mm. Right. Almost a um, scandal of the mystery of the incarnation. Absolutely, the scandal <laughs> of of the incarnation. Yeah. So mm -hmm. this sort of kicks off a, a big controversy. It leads to an ecumenical council in Ephesus Don't in the year four thirty one. I won't. I won't. In four thirty one. Okay. Nestorius. Uh, has already been condemned by the Pope in Rome, and um, and then he he is condemned against the Council. He is deposed uh, from being Patriarch or Archbishop of Constantinople, sent into exile. So now finally mm. it's Proclus's turn, only it's not. 
There were still objectors. It, it gets a little bit complicated. Don't worry about it too much. So there was another bishop this time. Uh, Maximian was his name. He only lived for a couple years. So actually, finally in 434, uh, uh, Proclus becomes bishop of Constantinople, which then he is for the next 12 years. He dies in 446. So I, I suppose, mm-hmm. Mary, the, the first thing that I think we can learn from Proclus um, is fortitude. Right. Um, there, there are people who interpret him as a kind of career climber, mm-hmm. but it seems to me that over and over there are there are signs of actually a profound humility. It's true that he he knew he'd been sort of prepared to be Archbishop of Constantinople. He knew he could do a lot of good pastorally in that capacity. Um, and so in that sense, I think he was disappointed, yeah. right, to be passed over three times when he had good expectations of becoming Archbishop. Mm-hmm. And he sort of received those things uh, in humility and moved on. Um, and then also, of course, his courage in being willing to stand up in front of Nestorius yes, um, and stand up for the truth of the incarnation, the truth of Our Lady's divine motherhood. No, that's a great point. And also boldness and the courage to not be afraid of offending the people who were followers of Nestorius yep. at that time period yep, absolutely. Um, as well. And yep. the boldness and the no, truth. That's right. That's right. No, that is very interesting. And how God still worked through him, even when he didn't necessarily have the official seat as bishop of, mm-hmm. you know, Constantinople that he was prepared for since a young age. Um, God still worked when um, appropriate through yeah. his leadership and his, Absolutely. his preaching. I, I think, too, that his behavior um, when he did become archbishop um, really kind of backs up my argument that that there was a kind of humility, you know, even as he was disappointed um, and those previous, you know, um, opportunities, let's say that, um, to become the archbishop. Um, uh, so he seems to have had a reputation actually mm-hmm. for gentleness and kindness, um, and mm-hmm. even in opposition to some of his predecessors. Uh, so there's a Socrates, not, not the philosopher. There was a, there was a fifth century church historian who had the name Socrates, mm-hmm. um, who, who was who clearly was a fan of Proclus and, and who says, that unlike some of some other figures in the church, um, that that Proclus really uh, was convinced that kindness was a more effective was more effective in the cause of truth than violence, hmm. right? And um, and there are a number of incidents that sort of bear this out. It's also a real point of contrast with Nestorius. So when Nestorius was brought from Syria and made Archbishop in April of 428, right after his consecration. Right in front of every so all the all the all the important people in Constantinople there, including the mm-hmm. emperor, and he addressed Emperor Theodosius II, and he said, um, "My prince, um, if you will purge the earth of heretics, I will give you heaven in recompense." And he says, "Destroy heretics for me, and I will help you vanquish the Persians." Wow. Right. And then he goes out and just starts, it's like a bull in a china shop. Like mm-hmm. he um he destroys uh this chapel where um where Arians, right? Arian heretics have been worshiping. Right. Now, I, I would join Nestorius in opposing uh Arianism, but um this really turned out badly. In fact, when the when the Arians saw their chapel being burned, uh, sorry, being destroyed, they set fire to it and it took out several adjacent buildings. Oh, okay. And the wow. other thing he didn't think about was the Arians who worshipped there, many of them were Visigoths who formed um, the emperor's bodyguard. So it's like he's not—he's not—he's just That's very rash. <laughs> and there's yeah, there's a bunch of things he does like this. Yeah. Um, 
And 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 that really wasn't Proclus's style. So mm. um, one of one of his most illustrious predecessors as Archbishop of Constantinople was Saint John Chrysostom. Mm. Okay, Chrysostom, uh, who'd become Archbishop of Constantinople, like I remember the date, three ninety seven ish, somewhere in there. Um, he, for reasons that are still a little bit murky, but um, that partly had to do with his own fearless preaching, he was actually exiled in four hundred four. And died a few a few years later in exile. Well, John was, as, as everybody knows, there's a reason we call him Chrysostom, Golden Mouth, incredible mm-hmm. preacher, amazing pastor. And he was still much beloved by many of the people in Constantinople mm-hmm. who never really forgave uh, kind of the the um the the church and um and the administration in Constantinople for what had happened to John. And um that that those sort of wounds were still open 30 years later. And one of the things that Proclus did um, was to have John's relics brought back to Constantinople. Mm. And so he was able to kind of effect a reconciliation uh, and bring some healing uh, to that situation. Um, another, can I tell you another story about, Please, about this? So fascinating. There's, another, there's a really fascinating figure. Uh, sorry, it's more names. <laughs> Volusianus, not even an easy one. Volusianus was this kind of highly placed um, imperial official who was still a pagan. A lot of people in his family, he had multiple saints in his family, but he really held on to paganism. And um, and at, at one point, um, he actually exchanged letters with St. Augustine, where Augustine was sort of challenging Volusianus uh, on, some, on some things about paganism and Christianity, answering pagan objections to Christianity, and inviting Volusianus to really consider being baptized. And Volusianus sort of politely said, thanks, but no thanks, right? And he stayed, he stayed a pagan. Hmm. All the way through Augustine's death in 430. We'll fast forward a few more years to the year 437, and Volusianus is in Constantinople, and he's very ill. He's in his final illness. He's, he's on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. And he is visited by his niece, uh, Saint Melania the Younger. Okay. And so Melania goes to her uncle. She's very concerned, right? Like, Uncle Volusianus is going to die, mm-hmm. and he's not baptized. He's yep. not a Christian. It's a pagan. And so she goes and she shares her faith with him again, uh, speaks to him about the Lord Jesus, invites him to reconsider, and he still says, yeah, no thanks, but no thanks. Well, then uh, she's able to arrange it that Proclus, who at that time is the bishop of Constantinople, mm-hmm. uh, can go and talk to him. And oh. so she's not there for it, but Proclus goes yeah. and talks to Volusianus, and um, when after Proclus leaves... Melania goes in. It's like, okay, uncle, how did it go? <laughs> and now he doesn't say, I'm ready to be baptized, but he says, uh, he says, if there were three such men as that holy bishop, there would not be a single pagan left in Rome. Oh, wow. Right? Yes. And, and then in fact, uh, just not, not too much later, uh, when he really was at the very moment of death, he called for Proclus who came and baptized him uh, just before his death. It's a, it's a really That's wonderful really story. That's really neat. Wow. Right? So you, you get a sense of... Um, not a man who just wants this office for its yeah. own sake, mm-hmm. but who really is there uh, to be a shepherd. There, are, I, I don't want to go off on too many tangents, but there are so many um, ways in which we can see a sense of Proclus's desire to uphold orthodoxy courageously, mm-hmm. uh, but also to do his best to reconcile those um, who, can, who can be reconciled. No, that's right. a that's a great highlight of the style of his leadership um, and preaching too through that strong kindness and almost emotional intelligence, like you said, to bring the relics back. Emotion, that's right, emotional <laughs> IQ. That's right. High emotional IQ, yeah. um, while still with that kindness as well. That's fascinating that this man 
Val... Valucianus. Valucianus was surrounded by three saints. If he was... Uh, or maybe it was at two. least Melania. Oh, at least, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, and he was, you know, he was life. fairly respectful toward Christianity, but he was kind of like a, you know, a little curmudgeon who was like, yes. uh, you know, the old ways are good. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? No, that's wonderful. Well, as we were wrapping up with Saint Proclus, so we know he had um, the teachings on the Theotokos. Uh, what are there other, you know, legacies of his preaching or, you know, teachings that we still really go take the Absolutely. Compensate today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my so this is one of my favorite things about Proclus. So Saint Proclus, as as you mentioned, um, really preached eloquently and powerfully about uh, about Our Lady as the Theotokos and marvels at the scandal of the incarnation, mm-hmm. right? That the eternal and infant God could really empty himself and become a baby personally in the womb um, of of this woman. And so just, I have a couple quotations from, actually, this is from the Please. one that he preached in the presence of Nestorius, okay. okay? In 428, he says, whoever saw, whoever heard of God dwelling without restriction in a woman's womb, heaven itself cannot contain him. That's a reference to um, to First Kings when uh, um, when Solomon is dedicating the temple, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less mm. this house that I've built, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you see Mary's womb now as like a new temple. Mm-hmm. Okay, heaven itself cannot contain him, and yet a womb did not constrict him. Then in a in another homily, this was actually a Christmas homily. He says, "Come and see the womb of a virgin wider than creation." For the one whom creation cannot contain is contained in her without constriction. Now, this is all really beautiful, beautiful, but some people have read this in Proclus and said, oh, he's he's sort of distancing Mary from us, right? Like mm-hmm. she's just like this up on a pedestal in a museum. We have no access to this. But what they're overlooking is that Proclus uses the very same language to talk about our faith. Hmm. So in, in one of his homilies, he says, those who receive the sacred mystery in faith, and he's speaking here sort of like in the voice of Jesus, shall contain me in their hearts whom heaven itself cannot contain. Ah. So that very same paradox, right, um, is available to us through faith. So by faith, even though none of us are Theotokos, Mary alone is mother of Jesus according to the flesh, all of us can share in that mystery. And so it's actually an invitation Mm -hmm. for us to go deeper in our faith Mm -hmm. and to enter more deeply into the mystery of the incarnation of Jesus and of Mary's divine motherhood. It's not something that sort of seals Jesus and Mary Mm -hmm. off from us. It's something that um, sort of invites us to step out in faith and recognize the greatness of of everyday Christian faith. Yes. And would you say it is that faith that is the key almost that unlocks the the presence of God, you know, within us. That Absolutely. First key and is and that even faith. for Mary herself, right? It's a unique blessing that she should become the mother of God according to the flesh, that her womb should contain the uncontainable one. But Jesus himself tells us that her real blessedness is her faith, right? Mm-hmm. When the woman says, Blessed is the womb that bore me, bore you and the breast that, yes. that nursed you, he says, No, blessed rather are those yes. who hear the word of God and do it. Beautiful. And it is that faith that it's not, it's not about the womb. It's about the faith that allows access to that present, which, as you said, we all um, can imitate as well, like our Blessed Mother. Beautiful meditations on the Eucharist as well, uh, along that, along those lines. Oh, for sure. Um, as we are that tabernacle of carrying God's presence within us. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
Are there any other final thoughts about St. Proclus as we wrap up this episode? No, just, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I really think that he, um, it's edifying for me to think about his example of, of fortitude, of yes. patience, of gentleness and kindness, um, all deeply rooted in this profound recognition of the mystery of God with us, right? Uh, made present mm -hmm. in Our Lady, but accessible to us by faith. Yes, imitates the humility of God, um, mm -hmm. which he ponders so deeply as well. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Catholic Saints and St. Proclus of Constantinople. Pray for us. Thank you for being a dedicated listener to the Catholic Saints podcast. Your support truly uplifts us. For those seeking additional thought-provoking content, go to formed.org. It's a platform brimming with resources, including insightful videos that align seamlessly with our podcast's themes. If you're finding value in our podcast, please consider taking a moment to leave us a review. Your feedback serves as a cornerstone for our growth and outreach.